Greetings film fans and welcome to another episode of the following feature podcast. I'm your host Arthur Wilde and I'm here every week to give you a rundown of all the latest film news and I'm going to review a couple of films as well, or a few films in fact, um, that you may want to watch, you may have already seen, but I just think they're worth talking about this week. So without further ado, let's get stuck in. Now, um, always going to start off with the film news, um, but as far as my film news at the moment, what I'm doing, what's going on with me, not really much to report. I thought I'd have more news for you by now, but I haven't actually started work on the big film that I'm supposed to be working on. Uh, there's a couple of like delays in regards to like getting everything set up safely for COVID. Uh, meanwhile, I have been working. I've been working on a, I did a soap opera on Tuesday, and I did um, an American TV show on Thursday. Um, the soap opera was quite an interesting experience because unexpectedly I ended up getting a bit of dialogue, which is always a nice Brucey bonus. When you're one of the background actors, um, or as we're known in the industry, a supporting artist, um, and uh, if I'm going to be fair, as we're mostly known extras, um, you're usually just in the background, and even if you are supposed to look like you're talking, you're kind of miming, you're just kind of... A lot of people have lots of different things that they do. I've heard some people who just say, like, cucumber over and over again. Some people say cabbage and stuff like that. And, or they just list their favourite fruits. That's a good one. Um, for me personally, if I need to be like make it look like I'm talking in the background... And trust me, having a mimed conversation is a lot more tricky than uh, actually just saying a load of nonsense. Because... Um, you find yourself trying to kind of actually like talk to each other without actually saying anything out loud. And because no one actually knows how to lip read in these things, it's just, you get, it's it's amazing how, <laughs> and it's going to sound pathetic, but it can be kind of awkward and a bit difficult to actually successfully, you know, give the impression that you're having a full conversation without actually saying a word. And it, it, it seems like it's just going to be a load of lip flapping and that's pretty much what it is, but um a lot of times as well, what it actually is, uh, like for me personally, I like to count. My thing in the background, if I'm supposed to be having a conversation with someone, I'm face to face with them, I'm just usually saying something along the lines of, ah, oh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, fifteen, sixteen, you know. And so that kind of thing, it it's cool because all you got to do is just keep counting. Um, and on screen, it looks like you're really kind of like in in a deep conversation. Um, sounds silly, but. It's it's amazing the kind of things that go on in the background and the, the kind of tricks that you need to have to make it look natural. Um, it's it's very easy for people who think they can act um, to really ham it up in the background and really just kind of ruin a scene. Um, so it actually takes a bit of skill. Um, I mean, not so much if you're in a crowd, but if you're like quite a significant, you know, part of that scene then you've got to make sure that you can kind of put together a, a natural and, you know, normal, you know, something that's not going to stand out, um, which is trouble for a lot of people who uh, get up, get into this background role kind of work. They feel like it's their opportunity to shine. And when they're not really allowed to kind of step forward and kind of be on camera, you know, you can see them as well. You can see them stewing because when the director comes over or the, 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 the assistant director comes over, or the crowd AD, as it usually is, and they're like, oh yeah, face that way, and they realise that they're, they're, they've got their back to camera, that's when you find out who really believes that this is, their, that they're going to be discovered on the set of a film, and, and you know, the dream's going to come true. Ironically, it's people who watch way too many movies. 
I never thought I'd hear myself say that, but sometimes you just kind of feel that people need a reality check. Um, and there's nothing more satisfying than seeing them put in their place um, by... And they expect, like, some people will um, try to stand out as much as they can and get the attention of directors. And often that works because the director's like, can we get that attention-stealing asshole out of the shot? And you're sent home. That's that's quite funny. Um, and the... Those are those are some of the worst people, um, but also those that don't take it seriously and aren't professional. Um, they try to take their phones out during a shot and try to get like some kind of sneaky thing. I remember once on the set of um, uh, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, um, one of the people in the crowd decided that not only were they going to bring their phone onto set, which is a no-no, um, but they got it out on set. And as Guy Ritchie was walking past, they decided that's when they were going to take a selfie. Um, to get a bit of the set in the background, but hopefully get the director in the background as well. Problem is, he saw them. And you have never seen a bollocking like it. Um, that person was immediately pulled out of the crowd, uh, reported back to costume, got back into their civvies, and were kicked off the set. Um, but not only that, their name was shared amongst a bunch of agents, and they were blacklisted. Because it's not just against the rules... Um, you've signed a non-discretionary um, agreement before you actually go on set, and if you do something like that, you could actually be prosecuted, which is a very, very serious thing. And people don't think it's serious. Um, they think that they can get away with that kind of stuff. But really, it's, you know, to protect the um, the secrecy of a film in regards to, you know, making sure that when it's released... It hasn't been spoilt for anyone. Um, and especially on something huge like, uh, you know, King Arthur. It's a huge, big-budget Warner Brothers film. Um, the sets were some of the most incredible things I'd ever seen in my life. Um, and to have that spoilt... But not only that, to have someone be so unprofessional on, on set, just kind of really... We all got gathered in a marquee and, and um, the first AD got on a bullhorn, you know, one of those big loudspeakers, and just... Gave everyone a dressing down. Because she wasn't the only person that had their phone on set. There were a lot of people. Um, and it's understandable to a certain degree. Because some people... Well, like me, for example. Um, I would often try to have my phone at least nearby. Because when it, when it comes to this kind of work, you sometimes just get like a, a day's notice. Sometimes it's the evening before. I've been known to get calls at like 9 o'clock in the evening... To ask if I can be on set for five the following morning, so it does happen. And but sometimes, it's, you know, the, the the usual practice is that they need to contact you like sort of before early afternoon to make sure that you are available. Um, and if you're on set and you're, you know, you don't want to be missing that kind of work, so you know, you want to be near your phone. But also, there's a lot of people with kids that are in a vulnerable position that need to make sure that they're able to receive and send messages um, as and when. Obviously, there's a lot of compromises to be made, but um, yeah, it's, it's the people that do the stupid things that kind of make it harder on everyone else, everyone that's trying to be professional and respectful. Um, but anyway, um, I digress. That's, that was a hell of a tangent, and uh, it's been a while since we had one of those, really, hasn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Um, but my point is that um, we're used to just being in background. We don't kind of have this high expectancy expectancy like we need something to happen for us it doesn't need to be special for us we're just there to make 
the um, the world in which the project is being filmed make it look natural. And, you know, that means the people in the background need to look natural. Um, however, um, on the soap opera on Tuesday, I ended up with a bit of dialogue. And, yeah, as I say, it did surprise me. Um, but I basically had to have an argument with someone in the street. And it, it causes a distraction that makes the principal actors, um, you know, look away. <clears throat> so I had to have, you know, an actual Barney with this this guy in the middle of the street. And, and the thing was... Um, it's a daytime soap opera, so there is no bad language. And in rehearsals, <laughs> I managed to come up with a phrase, um, like this guy was just being petty. And so I decided my character was just going to be just, you know, not having any of it. Um, and I ended with the words fucking handbags. Now, if you don't know, in, in England, uh, the term handbags, when you know, mentioned in that kind of context. Um, it stems from a joke where, like, sort of, when two people are mouthing off at each other and, and nothing's actually going to happen because they're, it's just all bark and no bite, what they usually say is that um, it's handbags at 50 paces. And it's a way of kind of just being derogatory towards the people that are trying to act hard but don't have it in them to actually you know, instigate a violent confrontation. They just talk the talk, they don't walk the walk. So if, if you saw two people like that shouting at each other and someone's like, oh, is this going to turn into a fight? A lot of times you'd find someone just, you know, especially in, in certain parts of London, you'd find them saying, nah, mate, it's just handbags. Um, and so that's that was a phrase I used. But because I said fucking beforehand, I was like, right, you know, I'm going to drop that. That was only rehearsal, but when it came to actually shooting the scene, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely not saying that because I'll get in trouble and it's not allowed. Um, and I thought no one heard it. I thought no one heard it and no one really cared. And I, I you know, no one advised me against swearing or anything like that. Um, so I just shrugged it off. And um, yeah, then one of the principal actors, uh, who is a very well-known Cockney actor, uh, came walking out of... Um, while well, walking out behind me and just to the top of his lungs in his proper, you know, London accent. It's just like, fucking handbags. Ah, oh, just, oh my God. So, I mean, there's a part of me that's hoping that it becomes his catchphrase and I can, I've got that claim to fame. And it's like, why did he suddenly start walking around going, fucking handbags? Uh, well, yeah, that was me. Um, so that, that was a fun occasion. Um, you know, it's it's really interesting to to get an opportunity to like that to to act in front of a you know a director that's working on one of the most successful TV shows in British history, um, and to work with a cast as well that you you do admire. And this soap opera, it's it's a very popular one, and I've I've worked on it for uh, I mean it must be about three years now, and in that time, um, you get to watch a lot of actors come and go. You get to watch people you know rehearsing their scenes and then acting their scenes and there's been some very delicate scenes in the past and I've got to see some some people really pull out some amazing acting uh some of the stuff I've seen you just think to yourself like because I don't really watch the soap myself but there's times when I see someone giving a performance and I'm like you know what maybe I should be giving this a go if he's in it um but yeah it was it was nice to get back on it as well it'd been about seven or eight months since I'd actually been on that set. And um, there was one actress actress in particular who uh, plays quite a chavvy 
um, you know, loudmouth mum on the show. Uh, but in real life, she's probably one of the most sweetest, kindest, softly spoken people I've ever met. And it was it was really not, nice as well because, like, obviously I'm just background. But I work on the show a lot and you become familiar with certain actors after a while. Um, and she actually approached me and uh, and was, like, sort of, you know, happy to see me and being really nice and gracious. And even commented on the fact that I'd lost weight during lockdown. And it was just... You know, it wasn't like sort of I was being treated like one of them. Um, and there really isn't that that kind of distinction um, a lot of the time. Uh, it was the fact that, you know, she went out of her way to be sweet and to be friendly. And it just it was one of those things where I was just like, oh, my God, I miss this fucking show. Not watching it, obviously, but being on it, um, being part of this this group of people that work together so regularly. Um, yeah, I just missed it. And I had a lot to do. It was the first time, I'd, as I say, it'd been the first first time I'd been on set for about seven or eight months. Um, and I got to do scenes for a couple of different episodes. So it was really good. It was really fun. And the th- strange thing is I finished doing the temp job. I, as you remember, I, I've been doing an office job from home um, as part of this whole kind of lockdown scenario. Um, and it was just soul-destroying. It was. It's just... You know, whilst I don't feel the job is beneath me, it's definitely not something that excites me. It's not something that I really enjoy. It's just a mundane process um, you know, on a corporate level. It just doesn't really appeal to who I am. So to get back on set and to like do an actual bit of acting and to be able to kind of, you know, it was it was wonderful. And even though like on the, on the way back, uh, on the motorway, someone cut me up, which would have usually pissed me off incredibly but my my instinctive reaction was fucking handbags and you know what I couldn't stop laughing I couldn't stop giggling all the way home I'd had such a great day and I just felt so happy and I've never ever come away from an office job feeling like that so you know this is it here I am talking about films again and um and I've I've been told as well that that my enthusiasm and my my spirit on the podcast has gone up over the last couple of episodes. Well, that's your reason. I'm now back. Like my only real job at the moment is acting. Um, I mean that's not what I did on Thursday. Uh, there was an American TV show, um, which again I can't name, obviously. Um, but there was a scene taking place in. Uh, in a bowling alley, that's, I can say that, that's that's fine. That doesn't give anything away, fuck. Um, it wasn't a TV series based on The Big Lebowski, which was unfortunate because um, that's a great fucking movie. Um, but yeah, again, thinking like sort of, oh, here we go, you know, might get to do and have a bit of dialogue because I've had, I've had a couple of things over the last couple of weeks. However, um, to say I was deep background is an understatement. Um, this is going to be one of those ones where I will have difficulty pointing out myself in the episode. Not that I'm ever going to watch it, because why bother? It's a show I've never seen. It's season three of it. It's not really shown in this country. And I'm going to be... Well, let's let's face... Right, I'm a, I'm a very pasty white guy with ginger hair and a ginger beard. Um, and I was sat next to a man who... Um, well, his family are from China. Um, now, we don't look alike. But I was that far deep in background 
that I wouldn't be able to tell which one is me. Like, I couldn't point... Even though he's got jet black hair and I've got faded ginger slash blonde hair, that's how deep in the background I actually was. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. Not every opportunity is going to be your best one, but you've got to be ready to take them when they do come along. And that's... That's the best I can hope for at the moment. It was still not an office job, so I still found it very satisfying uh, to be part of the process. So, yeah, that's that's what my week's been like. Um, I also managed to go for a COVID test, which was uh, interesting. That was my first one, actually. Um, in all this time, I've, I've not been for one COVID test. So I went there on Monday. I had to drive all the way to Slough. I think I might have mentioned this on last week's podcast. It was not the best journey in the world. It was not very exciting at all. But you know what? You stick on a good podcast. You get some tunes going. It doesn't really matter too much. It was a 150-mile round trip to have some strange lady um, put um, extra-long cotton buds up my nose. Um, And you know what? I've never really investigated just how far you can shove something up your nose. But COVID tests have shown me that you can go really fucking far. To the point where I felt like one of my eyes was going to be dislodged. It was just... It was like a magic trick. I could see her pushing it up my nose and then a bit further and a bit further. And I'm like, all right, David Blaine, calm down. It's just Unless it starts coming out the other end, I don't know what you're trying to achieve here. Um, but yeah, had a COVID test um, and came back negative, unsurprisingly. Um, I'm a bit of an introvert and a bit of a hermit, so yeah, I mean, unless you bring the fucking virus to my house, it's not a very big chance of me actually getting it. And I know what you're thinking, like, well, you've been on these sets for these TV shows, surely you've been mixing with people. Well, no, the industry is being extremely professional about it, and, um, for the most part, we are socially distancing from each other. Um, it is weird how some people still manage to sit in groups and not distance at all. But as long as you don't go anywhere near those groups, you're good. And, you know, everyone on set has been tested and screened. Um, we all have a temperature taken at the beginning of the day. We all wear our masks. Uh, it's a new world, but we're, we're still trying to do it. We're trying to make things happen so that, you know, audiences get entertained. And uh, speaking of audiences and entertaining, I think it's about time we get stuck into the film news, don't you? And the first bit of news is a bit unexpected, actually. American History X director Tony Kaye is bringing us an unexpected sequel with African History Y. Um, It's been over 20 years since the original starring um, your man there, um, Ed Norton. Um, And Edward Furlong as well. Whatever happened to him, eh? Um, Now, if you haven't seen American History X, it's a very, very brutal story about um, a guy who ends up in... He's, he's part of this, like, sort of group of Nazis, and he ends up in prison uh, where he experiences things which completely change his outview, um, his, his, like, world perspective, um, and it, he tries to use it as a, a catalyst to become a better person um, in time to ensure that his younger brother doesn't end up following in his footsteps um and it's a brutal brutal film it's a very hard-hitting film with a lot of impact and it wasn't the film you know it came out of nowhere it was real quite a surprise hit um but yeah 
it, now it looks like we're going to get a sequel. And it's really hard to say what the sequel's going to be about because, I mean, we didn't really know what the first one was going to be about. We, we, I, I can imagine it's going to touch on some similar subjects, but it's taken a different perspective. Uh, rather than being from the perspective of a white neo-Nazi living in uh, America, it's going to be taken from the perspective of um, a black man living in Africa. And uh, the actor in question is um, Digimon Honsu, who you might remember from the Guardians of the Galaxy film, the first one. He's the one where, like, when he goes, like, he's like, uh, who are you? And he goes, I'm Star-Lord. He's like, who? Star-Lord, man. He's that guy. Um, and you might have seen him in countless other films as well. I know uh, Blood Diamond was a big one. Um, but he's, he's, he's a big actor. And they've been, apparently they, they met, um, him and the, the director met Tony Tony Kay, uh just after that he'd finished American History X, and they got talking on subjects and found that they had uh, a lot in common. They were very, you know, similar people, and they really wanted to work together. But the project had to be right, and it's taken this long for the right thing to come about. So we are going to get a very unexpected sequel to American History X in African History Y. Um, but that's pretty much all I can tell you at the moment. Got a great cast so far, and its lead actor. Um, We'll have to see where that one goes. Uh, as soon as I know more, I'll let you know. Now, um, Chris Hemsworth and Miles Teller will be teaming up in Netflix's upcoming sci-fi mystery, Spiderhead. Uh, based on the short story Escape from Spiderhead by George Saunders, it tells the tale of prisoners being used as guinea pigs for emotion-altering drugs, which result in two of them falling in love and attempting to escape together. Um, could be exciting. Um... I believe it also uh, stars Julianne Smollett, uh, who was in, uh, what was it called, um, Moonlight. Um, very talented actress. Uh, so it's it's unclear which part Chris will be playing and which part Miles will be telling uh, playing. Um, I can kind of see Miles as being more of a kind of sinister, um, you know, scientist type. And Chris Hemsworth being the... Love interest type hero. I don't know. I'm, I'm typecasting them both. But if it's the other way around, fantastic. But we'll have to see. Um, but that's an interesting project because it's another Netflix film for Chris Hemsworth. Um, and Netflix are really trying to like step it up in regards to the, the kind of content they're providing. Uh, and let's face it. Their um, net worth went up during lockdown because... Whereas people would either be going, would, would either be watching stuff online or going to the cinema. No one could go to the cinema. No one could really go anywhere. And online films and streaming services became, you know, a saviour for people's sanity during this um, very unusual year that we're living through at the moment. Um, most of us. I think it over a million people have died now. I don't know. Um, anyway... Back to the actual film itself. It's been directed by Joseph Kosinski. Um, and if you don't know who he is, he's the guy who's currently, or well, was, um, I'm sure it's finished now, uh, was making Top Gun Maverick. So as soon as he's finished with that one and it's out and it's released, which God knows when that's going to happen, um, he's going to be working on this. So it's an interesting project. There's a bit of a buzz around it at the moment. And... Um, I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, Hemsworth is fantastic, and he's he's able to adapt to a load of different roles. I wasn't a huge fan of Extinction. Was that what it, no? What was that one called? It wasn't Eradication. What was it called? 
Extraction. That's it. Jesus fucking Christ. We're getting a sequel to that, uh, which I, I don't understand because it wasn't a great film. It had some amazing um, innovation in regards to the way the uh, action was choreographed and filmed. Uh, you know, they had the amazing idea of giving the stuntman a camera and letting him get some amazing shots, like jumping off the building with people uh, and crashing to the ground. Fantastic stuff. But we're getting a sequel to that. Uh, and uh, now we're going to get more from Hemsworth on Netflix with Spiderhead. In other news, um, in superhero news, in fact, Black Adam, the DC movie about the anti-hero starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, has cast its Hawkman in Aldous Hodge. Seen recently in The Invisible Man and Black Mirror, he will play the iconic DC hero who is apparently the reincarnation of the Egyptian god Khufu. Now, that's an interesting role. Um, it's been given to a lot of different people in the past, but it's never really one that's been able to, you know, in the modern era, it's never really been translated onto screen successfully because it's a bit of a weird character in regards to the fact that he's, um, yeah, the whole mystery behind his ability to fly and the kind of archaic weapons that he uses makes him a bit of a corny character to bring in. Um, but, you know, what Marvel did with Thor, I think DC are hoping they can do with um, Hawkman. Um, we'll have to wait and see with that one, but it is a good bit of casting. He's a very talented actor and someone that I've, you know, enjoyed seeing in many different things. Never really seems to be the leading man. I think one of the only things I saw him as the leading man was um, uh, one of those short treks, uh, which is little kind of short films done by the new Star Trek series Discovery. And um, it was an episode called Calypso, where it's basically just him on the ship alone. And that was interesting. You know, I do think he's got the chops to be a leading man. Um, and maybe if he does well in this movie, it could be a spin-off. I mean, we see it all the time. Someone is supposed to be just a peripheral character in a movie, but they stand out so much and own every scene they're in, they end up getting their own movie on the back of it. So we'll keep an eye out for that one. But it's a good bit of casting, and I think we're all looking forward to the Black Adam film. Uh, seeing The Rock as a superhero, he's one of the only people that isn't going to need padding in his suit. Do you know what I mean? You see them all. And, and uh, Zachary Levy plays um, the, the the polar opposite of, of um, Black Adam. He plays Shazam. Um, his suit, a lot of padding. And in fact, they use um, CGI to kind of just alter it slightly in post-production so that it looks more natural. But yeah, it's just all foam in that suit. Uh, sorry, Zach. I mean, you know, you're a great guy. And God knows I'd love to see Chuck back on our TV screens. That's not going to happen now. Um, but yeah, he's a great actor. And I thought Shazam was actually one of those standout films that was a bit of a surprise hit, really. It, was, it worked better than I think most of us were expecting it to. Especially with DC's kind of history on, on their movies being a bit shit. Ice Cube is set to star in a new sci-fi movie that utilises screen capture technology. A bit like the film Searching with John Cho and uh, Unfriended, which we'll be talking about later on. Uh, set to be a combination of grounded sci-fi like District 9 with the horror elements of Shudder's host, the film will deal with the conflict between privacy and surveillance. Now... If you don't know what I'm talking about, basically there's been a, a bunch of films recently that seem to all take place on screen, on like on a computer screen. So when you've got the different windows popping up with video chat and bits and pieces like that and information being brought up on internet windows, the whole film takes place on 
uh, on like a screen capture. Um, and it's been it's it's becoming a new genre now. It's a bit like the, the whole how we had the found footage thing for a while. Now we're getting screen capture, and it's you know something that can only be happening in this modern age of everyone communicating via laptops as such. Um, so it is an interesting project as well because um, you know they they want to kind of put a lot of money into this, but this is the same producer that has made films using this technology, and he's kind of made it his own. Um, so he's actually been tied to a five-film deal, uh, which I, I think is going to be on Netflix. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, yeah, they're, they're looking to make a lot of these style films. So get used to this being the new norm, especially with the whole COVID restrictions and people not being able to be on set a lot. This this really only requires people to film from home. They don't need to be on set at all. As long as they can get in front of a decent camera, um, then you know it could happen. It's 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 a lot easier. It's a lot safer. It's a lot more of a simple process. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting idea. And uh, again, we'll we'll touch on that later on because we'll actually be reviewing Unfriended in this podcast. But um, Ice Cube doing a horror—that's a new one. Or, or a sci-fi. In fact, you know, I'm not entirely sure it is a horror, but it is sci-fi, and it is using the same kind of thing that's been used. It's been utilized quite predominantly in horror films. But the fact that they're talking about like it being grounded like District Nine. If you don't remember that, that's um, a film with Charlotte Copley where he plays the uh, immigration officer in in um, Johannesburg in South Africa. And um, he ends up getting infected and becoming one of the aliens that uh, he was hired to help oppress, basically. Um, it's a, a fantastic film. It's a bit hard to describe. It's a bit mad. It's a bit out there. But it is, it's, uh, was it Neil Bloomkamp? Yeah, uh, just go and check it out. It's a fantastic film. Um, but yeah, so that's that's an interesting one to look out for. I'm not really sure what to expect, but uh, it is a concept that I'm intrigued by because when you when used properly, it can be you know really impactful. Um, I haven't seen Searching yet, but that has been recommended to me, so I'm going to have to get that one a go. Um, but yeah, keep an eye out for that one. Now, the last bit of film news that I want to go through quickly is uh, in regards to um, films that are being pushed back because as has been a common trait on this podcast. Films that we have been looking forward to, unfortunately, their, their dates get shifted back further and further and further and further um, and further. Um, Black Widow, which I was so looking forward to. We haven't had a Marvel film this year. How fucking weird is that? I mean, you think about it, the last one of uh, Phase 3 was Spider-Man Far From Home. But I'm quite sure that came out Last Christmas? I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was that a 2019 film? Anyway, Black Widow has unfortunately been pushed back. It was supposed to be coming out uh, in November. It's now coming out May 7th, 2021. I mean, fuck. I was thinking like, oh yeah, so we're not going to see it in a few weeks. We might see it in several weeks. No, several months. Like, literally, it's more than half a year away. That's so disappointing. And, of course, the knock-on effect means that all the films that are supposed to come after that have also been pushed back. Um, Eternals, which is supposed to be coming out this November, originally, because Black Widow is supposed to be coming out um, late April, early May, and now it's been put back to the next May. So that's been put back a whole year, as has The Eternals, supposed to be coming out this November, now coming out next November. 
And that's really annoying because I mean, with uh, Black Widow's release apparently coming up quite soon, we were expecting them to drop the trailer for Eternals right before it. And we know that fucking thing is made. We know you have the trailer, Marvel. All right? Give it... To, I mean, I understand it's it's a year away and it's, it's going to be... Well, actually, no, it's what? 13, 14 months away? All right. I understand you're not going to give us the trailer this... This side of Christmas, maybe. Um, but at least give us a little something. A little something, you know? That also means Doctor Strange is going to be pushed back to uh, 2022. Um, although filming is due to produ- to begin um, on that uh, in this country, in England, by the end of the year. Um, as we know, Sam Raimi's taken over the, the helm for that one. Uh, he's famous for making a name in the, like, the Evil Dead films. Um, did Dark Man with... Liam Neeson. He also did the Spider-Man trilogy with Tobey Maguire, and I think the the quite underrated horror film. Uh, what was it called? Um, oh bollocks! Oh, I forgot what it's called. Anyway, um, Sam Raimi, fantastic director. Looking forward to seeing what he does with uh, a Marvel movie, um, where he doesn't have the whole Fox restrictions, where they're like, "You need to throw in this guy. You need to throw in that guy." If you don't understand what happened with um, Spider-Man three. Sam Raimi was on a roll, and because he'd produced Spider-Man, which was um, a a huge, huge box office hit, but then also delivered Spider-Man 2, which was an even bigger hit, and is still claimed, including by myself, to be one of the greatest superhero films ever made. The studio did that really, really clever thing where they were like, you know what? He needs our help to make the third one. Let's tell him what to put in his film, because... As a bunch of accountants and lawyers, we probably know better than the guy that's just delivered those two fucking home runs of fucking blockbusters. Fucking studios. Um, anyway, so those films have all been put back. And let's face it, they're all being pushed back a year. Uh, and there are going to be some people who are saying, like, kind of, oh, well, you know, isn't that a good thing? Isn't the, the superhero genre a bit oversaturated at the moment? Fuck you. No, it's not. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't care about that whole kind of like, oh, there's just too many of those films. Again, I've made this point on this podcast before. We do not get enough of this kind of content, and as long as we're going to keep seeing it, they're going to keep making it. If you don't like it, you don't have to see it. Now, I understand that by having like a major Marvel film come out, that it takes up three or four screens in a multiplex. It's released everywhere. And for every um, screen that it's shown on, that's another film, another independent film, or another smaller film that's trying to make its way into the world that's not getting an opportunity. I understand what you're saying. And I do try to do my best to promote independent films on this podcast. I'm a big fan of them. I like to discover new directors that are doing their own thing. And when you have no money or no backing or no support from a studio to make your passion project, you know that it's it's 100% love that's going into that film and so it's worth giving a try um i actually picked up a, a dvd copy of uh, edge of extinction the other day i found it in asda for seven quid go grab a copy of it um i'm not saying it's a groundbreaking movie um but it is a good movie and it's made by a local film director uh and it was paid for out of his own pocket so it's really exciting to watch that happen um because and here's the thing as well, like, 
when there's an appreciation of the art, sometimes you can really just, you know, see what an artist is trying to achieve. And they don't always land it. You know, it's not always a spot-on perfect um, delivery. Uh, but you can see the, I don't know, the roots of something coming through the surface. Um, it's a bit like going to see a band and, and like, they're only a support band and, you know, it's a, a bit rough around the edges and some of it's a bit shit. But there's something there. That's, they've got something about them that thinks makes you think, I've, I've got to come back and see them again. I've got to see, like, I've been given enough, I've been fed enough to get a taste of what their potential is and now I want more. Well, this is it with Edge of Extinction. I've, I've, you know, and I try to say that like, oh, it's a, it's a friend of mine. It's not actually someone that I know too well. It's someone that I've got to know since the film's come out. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very keen on getting to know filmmakers. Uh, it's pretty much all I do when I'm um, working on films and TV shows. I network all the time. Um, but I've now paid to see this guy's film in three different ways. I saw it at the cinema and advanced screening. I, I bought it, well, I rented it on Amazon Prime, and now I've bought the DVD of it. Again, not because I think it's one of those films that's just groundbreaking and spectacular in its achievement. It's It has its imperfections, but what it has is uh, it's made with passion, it's made with love, um, and and you can see the potential there. There's something about this group of filmmakers, uh, this team, this unit, you know, have the ability to do something great. And I'm sure they will do in the future. Um, but yeah, I understand that, you know, people are going to complain about Marvel movies and DC movies and all those all that jazz because it's, it's not for everyone's liking. Um, but you know what? There, were, there used to be a time when uh, certain people wouldn't stock the kind of things or enough of the stuff that we wanted to consume as comic book fans. And you end up with specialist stores. Um, and comic book stores have been like a huge draw to the um, the geek and the nerd type people that uh, I like to call my friends. So, where am I going with this? Um, I appreciate what people are saying. I appreciate the complaints. But unfortunately, there's just too many of us that want too much more. For it to go away, um, and maybe we will find a way. Maybe it will work its way out, work itself out, so that uh, there can be a separate place to be to consume that kind of film. Um, and ideally, what we would have is uh, a lot more independent cinemas popping up. And I think there's there's a, a need for it. There's a desire for it. That's you know, unfortunately, it's just it's just not a great commercial pull. Um, you're basically appealing to a niche audience in a very you know expensive um undertaking um but as i said my, my hope is that next year and it's it's not looking as likely as it was but it's still my absolute aim next year to do my uh documentary series where once a month i'm going to visit an independent um cinema somewhere in the country and review it just basically you know review its history and um its background, the people that run it, what their intentions were, what their desires are, you know, what the what it's brought to the community and what it's done for the actual film industry. And, you know, I think it's a very interesting topic and it's something that I really, really want to do. However, 
it all really depends on what happens here now. We've heard the Prime Minister come out and say that the new restrictions are going to be in place for, a, you know, up to six months. Um, and we've got experts saying that a vaccine that can be distributed amongst the population um, to everyone, uh, we're looking at about this time next year. So it might not happen, which is unfortunate. But I think, you know, the way things are going at the moment, we've all just got to kind of take this on the, on the chin. Um, and I know it's easy, it's easy for me to say because um, I don't have the, the um, you know, the concerns that some people have, the anxiety and, and the stresses that come with having to go through this whole ordeal. Um, I'm not living in a situation where I feel trapped or endangered by, you know, the world that I'm in. Um, so it's very easy for me to say, like, you know, I'm just going to have a cup of tea and wait for this whole thing to blow over. That's a very unique perspective from, from you know, someone who I guess you could say is is privileged in that aspect. Uh, and I appreciate that. Um, but for me personally, if I need to put my ambitions on hold um, so that I don't put anyone else at, at risk, I can do that. And I guess that is a privilege. Um, and I'm I'm thankful for it. Um, but I want to be out there. I want to be doing stuff. I want to be seeing films and I want to be talking about films and I want to be, you know, visiting these wonderful cinemas. Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, but in the last bit of film news, the, another film that's been pushed back is Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which has been moved back an, a year or so. Um, that will now be out on December 10th, 2021. Really looking forward to that. Um, not that I'm a big fan of musicals, um, but West Side Story is a classic. Um, and it's got a great cast. And it's Steven Spielberg. I mean, imagine what he can do with such, you know, rich subject matter, you know, that, that original material, um, that source material. I think he'll do a good job of it. And I definitely think it'd be worth a watch. So keep an eye out for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story coming out. Unfortunately, not this December as it was originally planned, but next December the 10th, 2021. Now, film reviews. <laughs> Our first film this week is Enola Holmes, which stars Millie Bobby Brown as the younger sibling of the famous detective Sherlock Holmes, played in this film by Henry Cavill. After their mother goes missing, Enola sends for her brothers to come home and help with the search. However, discovering the home in a dilapidated state, and their sister homeschooled and without the qualities expected of a young lady, the focus becomes more about sending her to a finishing school rather than finding their only living parent, played by Helena Bonham Carter. Defiantly, Enola escapes in the dead of night and sets off to investigate on her own. Displaying the intellect her family is known for, she soon finds herself on a daring and dangerous adventure that could have more sinister consequences than expected. Now, when this one dropped on Netflix, it kind of seemed like a bit of a family film that didn't really appeal to me, but it had a decent cast, and I'd heard some of the actors commenting on just how great Millie Bobby Brown was. Now, if you don't know, she's the girl from Stranger Things. She plays Eleven. And standout, absolute standout performance in that. Um, so it's really interesting to see her take this one on as her first lead role in a major motion picture. Um, and I can say she does a fantastic job. She is so full of this, like, wonderful charm and whimsy um 
and she gives her character such flair in a way that really kind of makes her stand out on screen and and it 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 makes it her quite a, an endearing character and quite a playful fun character that you want to see go on escapades um yeah she's absolutely brilliant in this and the story itself is a, a good story it's a, a good adventure ex, you know story about uh, a young girl basically being a detective in a big city but kind of being out of her depth due to the fact that she's been raised in quite a peculiar way um she's not really been brought up with the ideas of being anything more than um you know independent and uh intelligent and um you know able to find her own path rather than needing someone to lead her um and yeah it's it's an interesting film um but whilst it does concentrate on it does try to concentrate on being a family friendly romp um it does have times when it kind of loses its way a little bit <clears throat> mainly in the fact that it tries to make a few political statements throughout its film which are quite apt for the 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 time we're living through but they don't seem to fit with the narrative that we're we're getting in the movie so there are times when um you know the the confrontations between characters which aren't really pivotal to the the plot line get so on the nose in regards to like sort of um social politics and and different bits and pieces and it just it kind of makes you it's it's just a little i don't know it kind of takes you out of the movie a little bit but not as much as my biggest gripe with this film and that is millie bobby brown with the fourth wall breaking if you don't know what i mean by that it's when a character turns to the camera and, and kind of you know addresses the audience uh which really just destroys this whole kind of ability to suspend disbelief during the movie you want to go on this adventure with her and for the most part it's um it's done in such a great way it really does you know the, the character has this kind of reality to her which makes her you know escapades and her her achievements and um the things that she does even more exciting because you're completely on board of this being a real person but as soon as she turns to the camera raises an eyebrow and like kind of rolls her eyes and says something daft it's like what the fuck just happened like it it again takes you out of the movie and destroys any kind of like drama that they've built up any kind of you know expectancy of of um you know anticipating anything any kind of trepidation that the character's going through or like emotions that they're feeling you your your connection with the the reality that they're living through is lost because you know the wink to the camera it just it seems so unnecessary and, you know it works in certain films like in deadpool it's spot on because it's so self-aware and, and self-deprecating it's it's a, a silly funny film but in this one it doesn't seem to suit it at all and it just it disappoints um and the thing is it's not even consistent throughout the film there'll be times when it's thrown in you're like oh yeah i remember she did that like about an hour ago why why is that coming up at such random times she doesn't address the audience very often but when she does it's 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 at a bad moment and it, it kind of yeah it derails your in your basically you're, you're you're along for the ride but that knocks you right off the track so it's just it's disappointing but however millie bobby brown is absolutely fantastic she knocks it out of the park she's absolutely spot on 
Henry Cavill, Superman himself, playing Sherlock Holmes, seems like a terrible bit of casting, but you have to remember, like, um, uh, I think Henry Cavill started out in, in The Tudors, so he's used to doing uh, period dramas, and that's that's really kind of his bread and butter from, from the old days. Um, so he, he's brilliant as Sherlock. Um, Sam Clayton plays the older brother, um, who's, I, I can't remember his name, but... He gives a very powerful performance um, and a very dark and uh, bigoted character who's portrayed in quite um, a devilish fashion, which is unusual for the Sherlock Holmes stories. But um, yeah, okay. Um, He managed to add this uh, amount of gravitas at certain moments, which alongside Millie Bobby Brown as well, really does... I say there's some really, really great performances in this film that really do stand out. There's just some ideas that the director chose which I don't feel were necessary, and I think it just kind of spoils a little bit. It's worth watching, though, and for the, for most film fans, especially if you're watching it with a family, younger audiences, I don't think will mind too much about those things. They might find the political bits a bit too boring, uh, a bit distracting, but um, I think for the most part, it's it's a very good film. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I say it has this um, this jaunty kind of adventure to it that uh, is perfect if you're going to sit down with the kids and, and watch something quite innocent but action packed. Um, for the for the more for the older viewers um, and the more kind of discerning film fans, there are certain aspects of it which you might find disappointing, uh, but still worth a look either way. Okay, my next film. Uh, Enola Holmes, if you're wondering, by the way, is, is exclusively on Netflix. But my next film, Hide and Seek, is one that I watched on Sky Movies. Um, so if you have Sky Movies, give this a try. It's called Hide and Seek, and it stars Samara Weaving as Grace. Grace. I don't know why I managed to try to throw a W into that name. It doesn't have one. But Samara Weaving plays Grace, who was just married into a family of great wealth and influence. Having made their fortune in the world of games... Grace is invited, invited to participate in a ritual where any newcomer to the fold must play a game in which uh, a card is chosen at random by a mysterious box passed down through the generations. But when Grace pulls the hide-and-seek card, she unexpectedly finds herself being hunted by her new in-laws in what turns out to be a sadistic ritual. Unprepared and certainly not dressed for the occasion, all she wants to do, or all she has to do, sorry, is survive till morning. But trapped in an unfamiliar house with nothing but her wits to save her, how long can she last? Now, I was just randomly looking for something to watch. And um, I'd seen this film a few times, but it never really kind of caught my eye. It had a cast of people that I just felt were like, oh yeah, I remember that guy from such and such. And oh, wasn't he the person in the thing? Yeah, I couldn't really kind of place anyone. Um, but it was, it was one of those things where, like, it had an interesting poster, but you get the feeling, like, sort of, like, if this is good, why am I not hearing about it? You know? What actually uh, appealed to me was Samara Weaving. Now, if you're not aware, she's the daughter of Hugo Weaving, who uh, was most famous, famously um, from films like the, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, um, and he also played Agent Smith in the Matrix trilogy. A very, very talented actor. In fact, one of his finest roles was uh, playing the character of V in V for Vendetta. This, Samara Weaving, is his daughter, and she 
obviously inherited some of that talent because she's fantastic in this. Um, and the, the, the reason why I, I wanted to watch another film with her in is because I've just seen her in Bill and Ted Face the Music playing Bill's young daughter or Ted's. Which one's which? It's amazing. 30 years on, I still can't remember which one's Bill and which one's Ted. I have to actually, in my mind, visualise them like in front of their camcorder saying, I'm Bill S. Preston Esquire. Um, anyway, Samara Weaving is the lead role in this one. And she's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. She has that kind of thing about her where she doesn't really fully appreciate the the um, you know the importance of the situation that she's in. But um, suddenly it becomes very apparent what's going on um, and it becomes an absolute, you know, it's a fight for her life, basically. Uh, but what's really helping her out is the fact that this isn't a card that's pulled very often. And the family that are hunting her down are quite unprepared. They have the weaponry, but it's quite archaic weaponry. I think that's twice in this podcast I've talked about archaic weaponry. However, I digress. Um, their lack of killer instinct, or at least killer ability, is one of the one things that's kind of working in her favour. Um, but it's a it's a cat and mouse game, which goes on for the um, you know for the whole evening, and uh, there's there's a lot of comedy to it. There's a lot more comedy to it than I expected. In a way, it kind of reminded me of um, Free Fire, which was uh, a comedy about um, uh, it was about a deal gone wrong and a, a, a shootout at a warehouse. Um, it had this kind of dark humour to it, um, with certain people dying in, in terrible ways that weren't really supposed to die at all. Um, and it does get really bloody and gory at parts, but in a way where it's the the um the horror aspect is used to if anything enhance the humor to the film uh and the film works at a pace where you know it's just bang 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 it goes goes so quickly i think the film's about 2 hours long but really you don't feel it um and yeah with great pacing great cast uh, great dialogue and just the right amount of humor to kind of offset the horror this is a wonderful film to watch. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot more than I was expecting to, but it's it's got that kind of feel to it where it I don't know. It's it's again it's a it's a, a it's a funny escapade type story um, where a young girl has to kind of like take control of the situation um, and try to fight her way through this house whilst wearing a wedding dress, um, and she does you know find ways to you know, turn the tables on certain people and, and kind of get an advantage. But whether it's enough, I'm not going to say. It's one of those films where anything could really happen. Um, and sometimes the most unexpected things do happen, uh, but in the most hilarious of ways. I can't really say any more than that. It's one of those films where if you say too much, it'll give away the plot. Um, but it's on Sky Movies now. Give it a try. It might be on other platforms as well. But that's where I saw it. Uh, so give it a try. It's, it's it's a wonderful film. Not one for the kids like the last one. Um, but yeah. Hide and Seek with Samara Weaving. It's out now. Give it a try. Now, my last film, as I say before, it's Unfriended. And um, 
if you haven't noticed already, there's a little bit of a theme to these films uh, where it's uh, the uh, leading young ladies. Now, I didn't want to put that as a title because I tried writing it a million times and I didn't really know how to make it not sound kind of seedy. Um, and so I haven't, basically. Um, I couldn't find a, a way of, of... I think it's just because it's coming from me. Because it's coming from a 40-year-old man. It just all sounds disgusting. But anyway, Unfriended is a horror movie that tells the story of a young girl who, after having a humiliating tape of her posted online, takes her own life. After a year has passed, a group of friends chatting online find an unexpected guest log on to their conversation. Posing as their classmate who killed herself, the group believe they are victims of a cruel and tasteless prank. However, as they, feel the, as they fail to kick the supposed prankster off the chat, things start to get serious. Information is revealed showing how members of the group bullied the girl before her suicide, and one by one, the group witness each other being killed in extremely disturbing ways. Will they all perish, or is there a road to redemption for the cyberbullies? Now, again, this is in regards to that whole screen capture genre which is coming around now. This is the first time I saw it executed, and this is a 2014 film. I have to say, this hasn't had great reviews, but I loved it. It's not perfect. There are certain parts of it that could be better, and maybe it wasn't as executed as, as well as it could have been, but this concept was... This is the first time I've seen this when the whole film takes place on a computer screen. And the way they can use that as uh, a source of, like, showing different bits of... Like, revealing certain bits of information in different media um, to kind of really kind of move the plot along... But having different things happen at different times, well, different things happen at the same time, but in different windows and different screens. And the way that the, the uh, details of what's going on is slowly revealed, uh, and the way they go about, like, sort of finding how guilty each other is uh, of doing things that no one had openly admitted to in the group, um, is, is really quite special. It's different, it's unique, and this, for me, was... Uh, a very special film because it, it did things that I hadn't seen done before. And maybe it wasn't the best at doing it. Maybe other people would take that concept, concept and run with it better. But for this one, I think it was a very brave move from the director and producer to really take a chance on something. And uh, the way they went about filming it with these kids, you know, apparently it's quite a grueling thing, but what they actually produced turned out to be, you know, really quite good. It, it had me on the edge of my seat because it, it being an unfamiliar genre, you don't really know how to keep an eye out for certain tropes and certain, you know, usual things that you'd expect from that kind of a film. Pretty much everything is unexpected. And uh, even when you, you think they're going to go for big reveals and towards the end and they're going to be like sort of do certain jump scares and stuff like that, it doesn't do exactly what you expect it to. And for me, that added just a little bit of tension because, actually, it added quite a lot of tension because I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't really know what was going to happen to the characters or why. And as information gets revealed about the different individuals, you start to anticipate something something building, something happening, like something's going to go wrong um, in a way that is, is supernatural, um, but gory as fuck. And... Because you don't see it coming, you don't really know what 
what you're expecting, it has that ability to kind of keep you on edge throughout the entire film, even right up to the very last moment before the credits come. You're just you just you anticipating something, but you don't know what. Um, and it just keeps it has this kind of momentum going through it, where it keeps building and building and building, and it, and it never really kind of fails to deliver on on what it's building towards. Um, it didn't get the most positive reviews, but it was um, an experimental indie horror film. So it was never going to really appeal to everyone. I, I don't think um, The Blair Witch had like rave reviews right across the board. I think people watched it because they were like, this is different. Uh, this is scary in a new way. And that's what we want. You know, the, the horror genre is one that's um, full of cliches and, you know, tired I- ideas. So to have this come out really... I, you know, I, I applauded it uh, for its ingenuity and uh, its bravery. Um, again, it might not be the most perfect film in the world, but if you're into a good horror film and you want to watch something that, you know, you won't be able to predict, give Unfriended a try. Because I was really, really impressed. Now, that's pretty much it for this week. Um, that's the podcast in a nutshell. Um, I've had a bit of a runny nose all the way through this, so heavy editing. Um, if I do miss any kind of snorts or sniffles or sneezes, I apologize. I hope it didn't gross you out too much. I mean, you know, it's right in your ears. So I appreciate the fact that, you know, you don't want to be hearing that. Um, but yeah, there we are. And also on last week's podcast, it was a disaster, really. I didn't manage to get it done on the Sunday like I normally would. Well, I did, but, you know, I didn't plug the fucking microphone in like a numpty. Um, But then I I did record it, re-record it the following day. um, And my last minute idea to trim some of the music off the beginning meant that I shifted that whole track forward slightly. So instead of there being a bit of music in the interlude, the music comes in about 30 seconds before the interlude, and the interlude is just fucking silence so yeah it was a shambles and even after i got through the shambles i still managed to do it wrong so i hope you didn't use last week's episode to kind of push this podcast onto your friends because it probably didn't sound so great however i appreciate the fact that you are putting me out there you're you know spreading the word and i love you guys for it you know i'm seeing the audience grow very very slowly but what can I expect? I'm not famous. I don't really have famous friends and what famous people I do know, I wouldn't use them for that kind of thing. Um, you know, there are certain people in my, my social circle that have huge followings, um, uh, very successful authors and musicians and producers and all sorts. Um, uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, I can't really ask people to do stuff like that it just makes me uncomfortable and i think this this podcast will find its audience so just keep spreading the word people um and i'll keep spreading the love that sounds disgusting anyway that's it for this week um thanks again for tuning in uh we'll be back next week with more films i'm actually thinking next week i'm gonna do documentaries because there's a few out there that are really kind of stand out um I uh, can't remember the one that I was going to do, but uh, I know I want to do Anvil. If people haven't seen that, Anvil, the story of Anvil, uh, is a great um, documentary about a rock band. 
Um, it's got a kind of Spinal Tap feel to it, but it's all real. It's not scripted. It's not a comedy. It's not a Christopher Guest film. It's real. And that makes it utterly, utterly brilliant. But yeah, might do a thing on documentaries next week, just to kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. Um, I say we'll be back next week. And until then, uh, I wish you peace, love and empathy. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy your week and enjoy your movies. Take care.